Cool. I was just gonna mute for myself because of the crickets. Uh, yeah. But... Yeah, we, we kind of love it though. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Beam Radio. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Beam Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Adams, today. And with me, I have Bruce Tate. Hi, everybody from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Alex Kutmos. Howdy, howdy. And our guest, Hubert Onspicki. Hi, guys. So today we're going to be talking about deployment. But before we do that, we normally we would talk about the process mailbox and we would take a question. However, we didn't receive any process mailbox questions this week. So send your questions to beamradio1 at beamradio1 on Twitter, hashtag process mailbox. And if we pick your question, we'll give you a t-shirt. Since we didn't have any questions, no t-shirts for any of you people. Get your act together. So before we move on into the episode, let's hear from our sponsor, Groxio. Bruce, what's happening at Groxio? Yeah, a couple of things that are interesting. So one, we're starting to see an increase in corporate trainings. And what's interesting is we're starting to see people who want to train Java developers and um, Ruby developers on Elixir. We have to be able to solve the programming crunch. So world, worldwide, I think that there's beginning to be a programmer crunch. And you need to be able to um, adapt with the people that you have. Most of those trainings have been on OTP rather than live view, but we do live view corporate trainings as well. So the other thing that's happening is we have our guided self-study. And uh, so this, at this point, we're going to be doing Livebook. And if you haven't been engaged with it yet, Live, Livebook is a lot like the Pluto Notebook in Julia or the Jupyter Notebook in the Python language. And they're both pretty cool ways to explore things about Elixir, especially the new machine learning stuff. So check it out. All right, so our guest today is Hubert Wampitsky, and I'm gonna ask him to pronounce his name since I have now butchered it twice. Uh, it's Hubert Wampitsky, but uh, you did it better than most, so. I'll take it. So I followed Hubert on Twitter uh, quite a while ago and uh, enjoy his Twitter feed. And I've, I've just watched him in the community for a while, but I first spoke to uh, Hubert on the Elixir Mix podcast back in 2018, where we discussed when one should pick Elixir for the project. Um, he is a keto eating Elixir developer from Poland who has a very healthy looking garden and whose Twitter feed makes me hungry. And we're gonna have a chat about deployment in Elixir. Do you wanna introduce yourself? I think you did it perfect, but what I can add is that I started as a Ruby programmer and I was doing Ruby on Rails work for quite a few years before I switched switch to uh, Elixir. And I also switched all of my company uh, co-workers with me. Uh, that's actually not true. Some of them left, but the rest, you know, the cream of the cream st stayed with Elixir. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very happy with uh, that migration and uh, living happy life of Elixir developer these days. I would love to hear a little bit about your story about how you decided to go from Ruby to Elixir and um, kind of what your how that felt for you along the way. So I, I, I remember when I first heard about Elixir and uh, that was probably very early on and I just dismissed it instantly last like a, this is a toy project it's never gonna succeed so uh, I put it on a shelf together with other like toy languages and uh, but at some point we had the project where just Ruby couldn't handle 
the amount of traffic in reasonable reasonable amount of uh, resources we could dedicate and it was a competitive business uh, centered about advertising and uh, you know every single request had a cost associated with it so we really had to stretch out those uh, resources and we tried to find an alternative and elixir looked like uh, okay this that's a nice little language that we can incorporate to serve some of our requests and this kind of grew on us and and we started rewriting more and more apis so for, first we connected to the same database as ruby on rails uh, because out of the co uh, conventions are similar between uh, phoenix and uh, and ruby on rails so that was pretty easy to do and we just used the same database to fetch the records and, and display them to, to users and it was way faster uh, we were shocked actually so so for us uh, that was a matter of efficiency how much traffic we can could serve with resources we had on hand but then we started to see other advantages of Elixir. So started using Elixir more and more also in different projects. And that gradually over a course of like two years, I think we migrated, I would say 90% of projects from uh, Ruby to Elixir. That's a very interesting story. Uh, I'm kind of curious, how did the other engineers adapt to this new language and maybe some of these new constructs that came along with it you know as opposed to OO and, and Ruby and Rails so as I mentioned some didn't some some just wanted to stay with Ruby and that's you know perfectly fine we we had Ruby projects for quite a while after but we were we made a conscious choice that we're not going to invest in that platform anymore and some people left and that's fine it's it's like uh it's not for everybody. People have different uh, preferences when it comes to programming. Some just, you know, love love Ruby. We we also love Ruby, but we love Elixir more these days. So, uh, I think it's. Uh, I was I always was a bit of a contrarian, and and I also always liked those little things that you can. Uh, do that other people don't and they that gives you advantages and that's how i learned about ruby it was very niche uh, programming language back in the day when we started programming with ruby and then it grew and kind of the same thing happened with elixir uh, we got into elixir fairly early uh, but answering your question some adjusted very nicely and and, and love elixir some didn't and left the company and we also hired people uh, afterwards that never had any contact with ruby so elixir was their either preferred language when they joined the company or they just you know they, they graduated from university and we just offered them a job in elixir and they said fine that's that's okay and uh, they they never even wanted to do functional programming but you know the career path is is the weird thing that sometimes it's uh it's not a conscious choice yeah life takes you where it will that's correct okay so we're going to get into deployment 
but I wanted to I wanted to take a brief interlude and ask you two questions. Uh, so the first is, will you tell us about the your keto diet because it's one of the things that you tweet about a lot. And I also I'm going on a, a month of keto tomorrow, six weeks of keto tomorrow, and uh, I I like it. And I have I have had problems with diabetes that I have been able to keep control of via a diet. And so for me, it's it's an important thing. So I thought we'd discuss it. Sure, we can do. What do you want to know? What led to you doing it, and what's the what do you want to do? You want to give just kind of a very brief overview of kind of kind of what your eating looks like, because you know people that eat keto are weird. I hear. Yeah, so I think that's probably also very common story among programmers, and and actually also other people, but programmers in particular, because we sit a lot and we don't move a lot, and uh, I. I I became way bigger than I wanted to be, and it was it was visible. It had uh, uh, negative health effects on me, and uh, and I also started a family about the same time. So I had people that started to be dependent on me in very very different way than before. I I, I wasn't just thinking about myself. So I tried to in different ways to get my health together and uh, stop being insulin resistant and stop stop being 30 kilos overweight. And I tried different diets. I was very active throughout this, this time. So I also was exercising and running and cycling, but it, this didn't help. So what worked for me was a very low carbohydrate diet. And I followed it pretty religiously for the first year or so i don't follow it that religiously now I, I i think it's a tool you don't have to be in keto ketosis every single day of your life but it's a go good tool to have in your toolbox because you can teach your body to use different fuels yeah for me i had a i had a combination of i can't eat gluten i learned that i am uh, that i have celiac and also I was, I was incredibly overweight and had to stop drinking alcohol at the same time. And so that sort of led to me, that led to me doing the keto thing. And I, I lost an incredible amount of weight doing it. And yeah, I, I agree. It's a tool. It's not, probably shouldn't be in ketosis all the time. Yeah, I think I agree. And, uh, you know, different things also work for different people. So there's no one, uh, size fits all when it comes to diet or lifestyle, um, uh, Bruce here is trying a vegan diet, which some people have tremendous success with. Uh, I actually didn't try it. I tried uh, reducing amount of meat, but that was pretty miserable time for me. So I didn't feel good. Uh, I find that I have to take out, um, you know, so it's not just taking out meats, it's I'm doing the forks over knives, which means that you take out the one thing, what's that? Yeah, flavor. <laughs> That's what I take out of my diet, right? But um, it, it has done everything for me in that, um, you know, I, I agree, you do with what, what your body tells you to do. I mean, I've, I've dropped, what, 30 pounds, like the probably 35 points of blood pressure, so on and on and on, if I look at all the, the metrics. Um, but yeah, you know, kudos to you for taking it, it seriously. And, and um, so it's, it's not an easy thing, right? No, it's not. It's just, I think we're like, we're living in different times than we evolved in. And the, the, the food is so plentiful and uh, 
easy to access and our ancestors never had those comforts uh like they just couldn't eat that much or and uh yeah i think it's 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 a, a bit of a engineering task to figure out what works for you and i think also important is uh, you guys before we started uh, recording you mentioned your triglyceride levels and you're taking measurements of those i think that's also very important to do that like just just do your blood work every six months or so and see whether that actually works for you all right very good so i'm gonna i'm gonna drive the discussion away from keto and towards elixir deployment now with a very smooth segue um that's the segue so uh on to on to the discussion deployment i'm glad i just wanted to talk about keto for a second um, do you want to do you want to give us some some points around? Uh, we talked about deployment and some like your journey in learning how you like deploying Elixir apps, and I would love to hear about it. So I'm strongly in the platform as a service camp. So probably there are different people here have different opinion on on, on the on the subject, but I don't want to think about it. I don't want to invest too much in it, and especially considering the kind of clients I have, which are often startups, which are often small teams that don't have dedicated devs, ops uh, teams, platforms as a service are very good choice for the start. You can often overgrow your platform as a service as well, when your app grows, when your usage grows, when uh, you have different needs that the platform uh, provides, but I explored a few different options for Elixir, and uh, I, can, I can compare and, and you know talk about st strong sides and weaknesses of each platform. Uh, yeah, so we, we actually that's the same philosophy that I had when we were doing Ruby, Ruby on Rails as well. And back in the day, it was Heroku, right? We When we started with Ruby on Rails, you could write a blog website in, let's say, maybe not 15 minutes, but 30 minutes for a simple application and deploy it to free Heroku instance, uh, which they used to offer. I'm not sure if they still do in that time. And it was very, very fast and seamless uh, developer experience. And I think there's no good reason to give this up so easily. Like, I think there's a big value in that, not just for uh, programmers who start, but for teams that start a new project, for teams that don't have dedicated dev DevOps or, you know, uh, administrators, uh, server administrators and Kubernetes experts on the team. Yeah, I, I very much had a similar experience with, with Heroku. It, so I am not one of those people who is able to think at, at very low levels. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, I like to, to take my brain as high, you know, at the application level as I possibly can. And that's where I get my productivity. And, and if I'm focusing too much on deployment issues, then, then I'm basically taking my core advantages as, as a programmer and giving those away. So I look for ways to, um, to have partners that, that come alongside and do that kind of work with me and, and kind of nudge me when, um, when there are problems with you know, security problems or things like that. And um, so a platform as a service 
like Heroku or like Gigalixer make all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think also the other thing is that a lot of applications have very similar deployment requirements. And those platforms, they have been designed in a way to accommodate those usual use cases. So homogenous apps that uh, have nodes that are the same, that serve requests that are load balanced uh, in front of them, and they connect to the same single database on the backend. Uh, that's like 95% of the apps out there, I would say. So unless you're exceeding those requirements, I don't see there's a good reason to go with something custom unless you really want to. Uh, you know, nobody's gonna stop you. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience as well. Where the, a lot of these hosted platforms, uh, you know, whether you're running like in a container, like a, uh, um, like ECS from AWS or uh, something that runs uh, build packs, that will usually get you the majority of the way. Especially if you're just starting out and you have no customers, right? If you have no customers, you have no scaling requirements. Anything will do at that point. So get get past that initial kind of um, you know that, that hump where it's like get some customers, see how your application is behaving, get some monitoring in place, and then you can see where the bottlenecks are, and if it warrants either hosting your own solution and you know going uh, crazy scale or just vertically scaling the you know the instances that you have available to you. I would actually say that as soon as you have customers you might want to go with some platform as a service because they have thought about things as such as uh, health checks and you know monitoring your app for you and you can fairly easily set up something based on kubernetes yourself but those platforms such as gigalix or heroku they once your application stops being responsive or you know your application dies they will start a new pod or Dino or whatever the name of the thing is in their uh, in their uh, ecosystem or whenever if the platform provides you with auto scaling that's often like check like a checkbox where you say okay auto scale my app when there's more traffic than we can handle and the platform will do it for you and I think setting this app for a business that's just starting that has their first customers. Um, and maybe it's growing very rapidly is a big value. So you you started off, I think probably you started off deploying Heroku stuff, uh, deploying Elixir stuff onto Heroku just since you came from Rails, that's my guess. And then I know that you moved on to Gig Elixir. Do you want to talk about what sort of led you to uh, leave Heroku and then what the pros and cons of, of Gig Elixir were? Because I know you moved on from that as well. So. At the moment, we have uh, applications that's running, uh, well, some of them are running on custom setups when there's a DevOps person on the team or, or actually there's a team. So there are custom deployments as well among our customers. But whenever I have a choice, we go with uh, platform as a service and we have deployments on Heroku. We have deployments on Gigalixir render.com and also Google Apps Engine since uh, very recently I was playing with that um, that uh, environment uh, recently. I think we also worked with ECS at some point, but just 
wasn't it, it was very different very weird platform to work with so we migrated away from it and yeah that was you my experience what, with ecs also yeah ecs is uh is probably like the the worst of those uh and actually google app engine is kind of ecs done right i think um it, it's it's very singular in, in a way that it starts a vm uh where you can log into and it runs like a docker uh with containers on top of it um but it just works while ecs didn't so uh, it's a big advantage i think i've also had pretty good luck with uh, digital oceans uh, app platform it's uh you effectively just give it a docker file push it to the registry and it runs it and it does you know, kind of all those uh, past things that you would expect, like health checks and restarts and uh, rolling deploys and stuff like that. So I've had pretty good luck with it. And it's, it's ridiculously easy to get started. And it doesn't have a lot of that IAM, AWS uh, <laughs> confusion and, uh, and uh, time sync stuff. I, I'm, I'm yet to try it. I've been hearing only good things about it. Uh, I tried uh, digital ocean we, we use digital ocean back in the day for one of the customers it might have been in the ruby on rails days so it was pretty long time ago and they pulled a pretty nasty stunt on us they they on the launch day their uh i think it's anomaly detection system detected unusual traffic for an app that was running in production but you know didn't have any traffic for for months and then we launched it and uh, there was traffic so what DigitalOcean did was that they basically, their anomaly detection system detected anomaly and they shut us down. They shut us off the system. So it's kind of like the opposite very, of auto scale. Yes. It was very uh, unpleasant. And, uh, you know, probably that was also early days of DigitalOcean as well. So so I'm, I'm not saying that this, those things are happening now, but that's definitely one of the reasons why I haven't tried their new solutions yet, because I had this you know, experience in my head that they did that. So kind of tra traumatizing. Yeah, I, I can imagine that leaves a bad taste in your mouth after something like that. Yeah, and 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 you know that that took days to resolve. So that you know the anomalies happen, but the bad experience was mostly with dealing with their support team who wasn't very responsive for back back in the day. All right. Do you want to tell us? So I am a Kubernetes engine. I'm a Google Kubernetes engine fan. Like 80% of the stuff that I deploy is on GKE. It's usually because I have some other service running Python in the cluster and I want to be able to scale up a whole bunch of different things. And, and honestly, I'm a glutton for punishment slash really like Kubernetes. Um, so GigaLixer is like kind of the happy medium between a pass and a Kubernetes cluster that you have on your own. Um, so what's your what was your experience with GigaLixer? The experience was is actually very good with GigaLixir. They tailor the pl platform for Elixir, and they provide very good documentation. They uh, their support Jesse, who runs uh, GigaLixir mostly, um, I think is very responsive as well, and uh, is very helpful in resolving any issues. Um, yeah, so. The way I, I like to use Gear Elixir is 
is that uh, you can, the very good thing about Elixir is also that they have those two platforms that you can choose from. You can either you know deploy to uh, Google Cloud or you can deploy to AWS, and that that matters. For example, because there are different options for like storage or for database or storing files or or on those two and different pricings as well. So we might you know just have different considerations here. And it's very similar to Heroku, uh, but it allows you to do things that Heroku doesn't. So for example, you can do clustering um, because then the pods, which are their version of Dynos, I think they're using Kubernetes uh, terminology here is, uh, they are connected. So you can use libcluster to connect those uh, pods and uh, then have the same pops up and uh, you know just register processes uh, within the cluster and that works out of the box or with very little configuration actually and that works really good their deployment uh, default deployment strategy is also very nice because they start like a new instance what new pod they shut down uh, um, one of the old pods that then they start an, another new pod and they start shut down another of the old pods so so the deployments are also seamless and uh, users can hardly any time see any downtime uh, which is also important mm. so gigalixir uh, so gigalixir from that perspective has been very very good and has been kind of default some of the customers of ours have been, however, uh, like caution about choosing Gigalixir because they're not a big company. So whenever I say Gigalixir, they say, oh, but how about Google Cloud? And I have to you know, convince them to, okay, but they actually deploy to Google Cloud behind the scenes. So they're like a layer on top. But then there's a question to, okay, but what if they, you know, the co company goes bankrupt? You know, they're not Google, they're not too big to fail. So. So those sort of considerations, they and, and questions, they they happen quite a lot, um, at least with my customers. And um, sometimes, you know, sometimes the good uh, middle ground is because you can, you know, choose the um, choose the cloud and also region where we deploy your Gigalixir apps. You can also just, you know, start the database on uh, Google Cloud on your own. So you, you own it. So, you know, you don't have to use uh, a database provided by Gigalixir if you if you have those fears that they can disappear. And they're also quite easy to migrate because they use the same build pack infrastructure as Heroku. So if you don't need clustering, migrating between Heroku and Gigalixir uh, should be pretty easy. And if you need clustering, well, probably you can live with bigger instance on Heroku instead. Because uh, that's that's the other thing we, we learned when switching from Ruby to Elixir is that you can do a lot with very little resources. So, um, so we had instances where we prepared for, you know, app that will have to serve multiple dynos, multiple pods, and, and a lot of requests. And then it turns out two or actually one are more than enough to, to serve the traffic. So that's a good thing to, to do. Um, 
but yes, Gigalixir is, is very nice platform and very nice alternative to Heroku. And you can switch between those two fairly easily, I would say. Yeah, I definitely want to give a shout out to uh, Jesse. Anytime I've hit him up for questions when I had an app deploying at, uh, deployed to Gigalixir, he always responded within 24 hours and was super helpful. Um, the other nice thing is the CLI tool is super handy to have for Gigalixir because you could very, very easily from your development machine get a remote IEX session to a running uh, um, a Gigalixir app, and then you can kind of use the Observer CLI or you know any of the other IEX tools to introspect and figure out what's you know what's going on if you have problems and and stuff like that. So it, it is a very nice tool, and it's really nice that it's catered for Elixir uh, deployments. Yes, although. Have you ever deal, dealt with somebody else than Jesse from Gigalixir? Because I, I always had like just feeling that it's a one person company and uh, it kind of is also worrying for some customers that, you know, the, there's a bus factor, which is very, very high. If that's, that's one person <laughs> company, like what happens if, you know, Jesse is not careful crossing the street? So or wins the lottery. Be... <laughs> Oh, wins the lottery or, or goes on a holiday or... Uh, so I've only... No, I've Jesse, only Jesse with, doesn't get to Jesse. go on holidays. Yeah, and, and that's probably long-term also not good because he's going to be miserable. He has to go on holidays at some point. Are there any other uh, any other deployment-related things? Yeah, I think I think we could go through, like because those are not the only two platforms that you can use. We had a very good experience with render.com, which not a lot of people know about. And obviously I have no affiliation with those, but they're a very nice platform where you can deploy Ruby, PHP, and I think Node and Elixir apps and also anything Docker, but they have those like prepared environments for Elixir and Ruby. And they actually are viable alternative and they're very similar in a way to Heroku and um, also uh, Gigalixir that for example, your environment is your configuration file, which is not the case with uh, Google App Engine. Uh, with App Engine, it's actually quite interesting platform to to work with because if you're using Google Google services to uh, to access database and to uh, store files and you know Google APIs, you might get away with no credentials in the environment. They actually have different methods of storing credentials but but on google app engine the, the the app itself has some default access to there's a default service user which can access your other google services and uh, you don't have to specify keys anywhere in the environment actually anywhere so that's a nice alternative if you're using a lot of google apis ecosystem Google App Engine or other deployment strategy on Google can be a very good option from that point of view. But render.com is also worth mentioning because uh, surprisingly it just works, including lib cluster and clustering. So, and it's a bit different in a way that uh, with Heroku and Gigalixir, you set up like a mirror repository uh, that's on either Gigalixir or Heroku and you push to that repository. Uh, but in uh, render.com, it can access your repository or branch and fetch code and deploy it as you push to your own repository. So the you know, continuous deployment is kind of the other way around where 
they detect that the new code has been pushed to your original repository and they attempt to deploy it. Which means you should probably have a solid CI CD setup before stuff gets merged into master. Or you might not want to de deploy from a master. You can set up a custom branch that's, uh, I don't know, production, or I think that it can also be configured to pick up tags and, you know, just deploy tags, uh, which is another strategy you can use. But I was actually playing with uh, uh, Google App Engine uh, and you know, because it's a Docker-based and container-based solution, uh, you can build a point it to like a Docker images and you don't have to build releases on push to Google App Engine. Uh, I was actually playing with building releases on the CI, on the we're using Xenon for CI in one of the projects so we can have those nice parallel builds where as the application is being tested, it's also, it's, it's production release is being built and then the image is being built and it pushed to registry and then Google App Engine is just informed to, you know, pull up that already built uh, image. So CI slash CD setups are very interesting way to uh, automate deployments. Yeah, my preference is always, master is always uh, continuously deployed the staging and prod, we have tags, prod underscore some version number. And anytime a new tag comes out, it gets pushed to the registry and then and then pushed to the production cluster is how I, how I roll. Any other platforms aside from render, sorry to have stepped on it. No, I think those are, uh, the, the uh, D digital ocean one is on my red radar. So I'd like to actually hear more about it. I think Alex, you, you said you, you were using it and uh, maybe you can tell us a bit more about it, how it compares to others. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, so it's kind of like a managed, uh, you know, like a managed ECS, if you will. So you give uh, DigitalOcean a spec for your project, and you tell it, uh, you know, where it should pull uh, the container images from, so a registry, and then uh, it'll just run that, uh, you know, that uh, Docker image that you provide. And so you can run Elixir, PHP, Node, whatever you know, whatever gets containerized nicely. Uh, you can run that on DigitalOcean app platform. And then it provides you kind of things you expect, like uh, you know health checks, uh, auto scaling. Um, you know, it'll automatically roll back. So if it deploys a new version, if the health check fails, it'll automatically go back to a previous version. Uh, I haven't tried from like a, a terminal on my machine to get to the the running instance, but they do have their web console, so you can write from the browser ix right into your running app, and uh, and see what's going on that way. Can you IEX to your running app, like a remote console, or do you start a new IEX um, instance? Because that's on Heroku, for example, you have this issue that you can, like with Rails, you can start a new Rails console, but it's going to be an, an own pod, an own virtual machine, and you don't actually connect to the same pod that your application is running, which is kind of important for uh, Elixir often, especially if you learn about tracing and the way you can you know debug things in production with tracing so mm -hmm. uh, it's important sometimes to you know, connect to actually the either staging on production the same virtual machine instance to inspect its internal state and what is what it's doing so so that's that's one thing you can't do at least easily according to to my knowledge on heroku and you can do on gigalixir or you can do on google app engine 
So, or actually on render.com as well. So I'm wondering whether you tried to do that. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's the exact same uh, container that's running the app that you're connecting to. Cool. Which is uh, which, which is probably also handy. means, which also probably means you can cluster those um, instances. Uh, so I haven't tried that yet, but uh, I don't foresee anything there that would prevent you from doing that. Given that all of your apps, like in your DigitalOcean account, run in the same VPC, if you if you uh, have it configured that way, they should all see each other without any issues. Um, so I haven't tried it, but I don't think uh, after looking at the docs that there's anything there kind of inherent to the platform that would prevent you from from doing so. But, because uh, I think Heroku only allows you to do that on the, one of their enterprise plans, and uh, those are like thousands of dollars per month. So. Uh, oh yeah, no, that's yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> no, I was I was running a dummy project for like fifteen bucks, and that included the database and the Elixir app. Uh, and I mean, with with Live View and everything like that, I was getting uh, initial renders in like four hundred milliseconds, three fifty milliseconds on the cheapest instances and stuff. Um, yeah, that would, that would make for an interesting blog post is to cluster all the, uh, the apps in uh, digital ocean app platform, see if it works. Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much, uh, Hubert, for coming and talking to us about deployment and all the deployment options. I had a good time talking about that as well as keto. If someone wants to find you on Twitter, how can they find you? Don't, don't do it. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's a lot. There are, there are delicious uh, pictures of food on the Twitter feed. It's glorious. I love it. Yeah, but if you want to, uh, Hubert Lepitsky, that's my handle. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for having me. That was a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming. And thanks everyone for listening. And join us next time on Beam Radio.